This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a good afternoon. Um, You just heard VOCM's Noah Shepard giving out the information on the uh, Bell Alliant uh, service interruption. Well, Bell Alliant is now providing some more information on that. They say some customers in Atlantic Canada may be experiencing a service interruption. They're working to restore service as quickly as possible. Uh, Two fiber cables delivering TV and some phone services to parts of Atlantic Canada have been been damaged. Wireless and internet services not affected, they say. This is a top priority and they're continuing to investigate the cause and working to restore service as quickly as possible. The Fibe TV app unaffected and is the easiest way to watch your live or on-demand TV programming while they work to restore services. And we have been getting some calls from people who lost their um, um, home phone service and some others who are having a little bit of trouble with their email and the like but uh, this is the cause of that problem and if you recall there was a similar type of situation earlier in the week uh, that affected uh, phone service for RCMP and RNC RNC and RCMP again affected this time around and uh, what they're asking people to do is they have some phone numbers which we have up online at vocm.com and uh, in the event of emergency uh, call 911 but don't call 911 if it's not an emergency or just to check the line because that can cause some real problems yeah i've um i've heard so many weird stories about people calling 911 for so many ridiculous things but uh, I-, I can see you know people getting frustrated and just well there got to be somebody to answer at that line but yeah you're actually hindering other things real emergencies absolutely so they're uh, for the rnc they're asking residents of the northeast avalon area to call their corner brook office believe it or not and then they can route those calls or or deal with them and uh, for the rcmp they're asking people to call a dedicated line and uh, we like i said we have that all up online uh, but if you wanted to jot them down i'm giving you an opportunity to get your pen uh, for the Northeast Avalon 637-4100. That's for the RNC. And for the RCMP is 722-8087. 772-8087. Well, still with police, RNC providing a dedica- a dedicated resources sorry, to a new weapons and drug enforcement unit formed over the summer as a pilot program. RNC Chief Pat Roach and Deputy Chief Stephanie Legassi spoke with reporters, including VOCM's Brian Callahan, earlier today. So the RNC, based on our statistical information and our calls for service that we've received over the last little while, um, we decided that it was very important for us to dedicate some additional resources and create a new unit that focused on the proactive approach of uh, drug investigation and also uh, removing weapons um, from our streets uh, before the crimes happen. So we've created this new unit um, that will be solely dedicated to proactive work in trying to remove these firearms and drugs from the streets before any other further crimes can occur. Uh, is this based on a pilot, I believe, that initially said? Yes. Uh, you could talk about what the pilot found and why it was created. Sure. So when we identified that we should probably change our approach and create a new unit, we decided to um, enter into a pilot project, and that started on July 27th. 
And over the last, I guess we're going into nine weeks now, uh, we have seen over 20 arrests and the seizures of multiple um, firearms and also a significant amount of drugs. So we realized that uh, the pilot project was very successful and it was very important for us to continue on. So that's why we created this new unit and provided some additional resources to the pilot project to continue on. Will there be more staff hired or is it sort of a reshuffling of current staff? So we have ample resources within the organization to uh, move around within our criminal investigation division as well as uh, taking resources from patrol services from time to time to assist in this unit uh, just to make sure it's successful. And how many people are in the unit? For operational reasons, we won't be disclosing that information today, but we can say that there's more people that were in the pilot project. More people have been at it. How is this different from other teams, other units that have focused on, on these issues? So I, I think, Rosie, this particular unit and team will be looking at um, the weapons that have, as you can see from the seizures that have been made over the last nine weeks. Uh, that are taking place in our city. Uh, you've been following any of the media releases we've been doing in recent months about drugs that have been seized and during the course of those investigations, firearms that have been seized as well. So this unit will work in tandem with the other units in our organization to make sure we have the public are safe and that the officers who are going out every day and night to do their jobs are safe. How has the landscape of, uh, I guess, uh, guns and drugs and that sort of changed in our province? over the past, say, decade or number of decades? Uh, well, I can say over the last so many years, we've noticed that, well, previously, uh, when you would do drug seizures, you wouldn't come across as many firearms as we do now. Um, with our drug seizures, seizures recently, uh, we've noticed that there's been a lot of weapons involved pretty much on, on almost every single one. Um, so they kind of go hand in hand nowadays, and that's where it's trending. So does that, you know, change strategies? I mean, I'm not going to get into technical stuff, but... You know, I mean, none of it is conventional. Like, the average person might be shocked to see that this isn't your average handgun, it's not your average rifle that you might have seen 20 years ago, unfortunately. You're correct. However, I think that the training that our police officers have had in the education they've had in how things are changing from, say, five years ago, 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, we're prepared for this. It's what we expect to find, and it's what we are finding. So that was RNC Chief uh, Pat Roach and Deputy Chief Stephanie Legassi, who spoke with reporters today about this uh, new dedicated weapons and drug enforcement unit. They uh, introduced it as a pilot program earlier in the summer. It's already seen uh, quite a few arrests, more than 20 as a matter of fact, and a number of seizures of uh, weapons, both weapons and drugs, and we've seen some of that activity over the last little while. So they have, uh, it's um, proved so effective I suppose that uh, they are uh, dedicating resources to that. If you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, when we come back, um, a uh, local doctor who's been in family practice for more than 10 years is uh, upping stakes, closing her practice, and we'll find out why when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. 
And we're back. Well, a family practice that's been serving residents of the Grand Falls-Windsor area for the last 10 years is closing its doors. Dr. Sarah Clancy recently announced that she's closing her family practice in December. Uh, VOCM's Richard Duggan recently had an in-depth conversation with Dr. Clancy about why she's making that move. And you can hear most of that interview tomorrow morning on your VOCM morning, so stay tuned for that. But we have a little taste of it right now. Uh, Richard Duggan provided with us with this little sampling, um, picking up the conversation as Clancy describes what she might do next. And ultimately, I may start working at the Health Hub, which is the government um, supported clinic for the uh, patients who do not have a family doctor. So here's the irony, of course, is that in the response to no physicians, um, they created a walking clinic that is supported by the government. So what that means is they pay the government pays the overhead, um, and they provide. Uh, there's a nurse there, uh, an LPN, and a nurse practitioner, all paid for by. I'll say the government. I'm not sure if it's the health authority or the Department of Health, but let's just say it's not us as physicians. Um, physicians walk in, they do a shift, they take care of whomever is booked there, and they go home, and then the next physician comes. So it's like an emergency department in that there's different people all the time, but it's done out for emergencies. Um, that pays better uh, in a more supportive environment, and they offer what we call locums, which are essentially substitute doctors when someone can't come in. So what that means is if they have a gap in the schedule, the government will pay travel accommodations for that doctor to come to our province to work there. I work across the street and I pay for my overhead and I don't have any of those things. And I get a different model of care. So I actually work, you know, probably twice as hard almost because I don't have all this other support. So it makes no sense for me to stay there if I can have a better balance literally across the street. So what has happened Physicians have said, I can't do this on my own. I close. Patients I followed for 10, 15 years. And now I'm going over there to provide, you know, broken care in a way to multiple people. Um, and, and the irony is it's like that just didn't serve anybody, right? So it's, it's frustrating because we have to do the wrong thing for patients that makes the right life balance for, for us to survive, essentially. Um, so we're really just moving people around, and it sounds like we're doing a good job, but we're absolutely not. Um, my 10 years of knowing a patient um, is a – you'll never replace that, not because I'm fantastic, but because anyone who knows anyone for 10 years obviously has more knowledge and understanding as a baseline. You'll never be able to read through 10 years of a chart to catch up. So we're really shooting ourselves in the foot by – sucking family physicians out of clinical uh, clinical medicine on uh, family medicine clinics, and, and we're drawing them towards other parts of important medicine. But in turn, you know, patients aren't getting that longitudinal care, and they end up having more issues and sicker and just continue to fill up our system. So uh, until we stop, you know, pulling people out of the river downstream and go upstream and figure out why they're jumping in, um, we're never going to solve this. 
So that's Dr. Sarah Clancy uh, with a very interesting perspective on this move to uh, collaborative care type clinics and uh, why she's closing her family practice. And uh, she's not happy about it at all, but uh, she she outlines a little bit of that right there. But she's going to really get into the nuts and bolts of it on um, the morning show on VOCM tomorrow. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to hear that because these things affect us all. I didn't realize that that would happen, you know, because I've heard really great things about the collaborative care clinics from some family members who have them. They are really impressed with them. But seeing that side of it, how it's actually taking doctors away from their own practices because it, it's being an incentive for them. No overhead. Yeah, Family, for well, sure. well ba- uh, a more balanced life, which everybody would want. And I can't even imagine being just bombarded with all of the paperwork that doctors are you know have to deal with um, instead of just the primary care of patients yeah and the nlma and the canadian medical association have raised that as well um so anyway it's a very interesting conversation we'll hear more on that uh tomorrow morning well coming up a section of the buren peninsula highway has been named after Don Jameson, where we're going to hear from his grandson now, who is on his way back from Swift Current, when we come back after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Well, thanks a lot, Noah, and thanks a lot for being so understanding. Sorry, Claudette, I really messed things up there. Oh, listen, I have my share behind the scenes, so no worries. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Well, thanks, everybody, for understanding that and uh, for being, uh-oh, here comes the boss. Um, well, as you may have heard earlier today, NAEP is frustrated with continued problems at HMP that the union says amounts to an unsafe workplace. A corrections officer was injured after being assaulted by an inmate yesterday afternoon, and virtual visitation has been set up and some staff moved after the visitor room had to be shut down due to the discovery of black mold. Well, I spoke with Nate President Jerry Earle earlier today. So, Jerry Earle, it's uh, it's another day in uh, the life of uh, people working and staying at Her Majesty's Penitentiary. First off, I want to ask you, uh, how is your member doing uh, following this, um, this reported assault? The member, from my understanding, is doing okay. Uh, unfortunately, the conditions that are correctional staff across the province work in is challenging every day, and I can only confirm that there was an assault upon one of the staff there. The staff person is okay, but this is the environment that they work in, the physical environment, uh, apart from at HMP, uh, that facility that they work in. So now, of course, we uh, we know that the visitation room is closed and that uh, uh, sort of a, a virtual um, meeting space has been created to for inmates. But I understand inmates not at all happy with that. Uh, they need that contact. Uh, what's going on with the with the discovery of mold there and the remediation? Well, this doesn't surprise me or any of the staff that works here. We've been saying such a distance. Day after day, week after week, we're talking about this. This is a symptom of a facility uh, that needs to be replaced, should have been replaced. Uh, I stood in a meeting, I think it was 2018, 
my former ministers, as soon as the time uh, made an announcement of the Canadian League that it was going to be replaced. And here we are in 2023. Nothing is done to advance to replace the facility. It is unacceptable what people are working in there. It's unacceptable what people are incarcerated there. And the current government needs to act to make a commitment. Uh, we hear of another areas that people, people see mice dropping. We see protest. We're in a facility here where we're hearing like black mold. A lot of people maybe listening don't realize what the possible consequence. Well, people have been working in this. So I'm concerned, staff are concerned of the potential long-term adverse effect on their health. What else is in this facility uh, that individuals don't know and may not know today, but I'm thinking ahead. It's quite distressing knowing that people are going to work in this facility and what else effect it may have, maybe not today, but next year or even after they leave this facility. So it's incumbent on government. Uh, they'll take responsibility for the people there, their health and safety. Keeping putting band-aids on is not working. Uh, we've gone back to the decades of darkness report. This facility should have been replaced by previous administrations. The current administration, I'm calling up on them to tell us when they are going to take action that is going to replace this facility for the health and safety of people working there. And for those who are incarcerated, and again, I know some people roll their eyes on the air, but we, people are incarcerated there, and hopefully a difference made that they re- return to our society better than when they went in. I can tell you the facility there is not conducive to that. And there's an example here where people can't, uh, people incarcerated can't even get visitation rights, uh, let alone the impact on staff, because there's other staff working as part of the building. So totally unacceptable. Uh, and something has to be done, and it should have been done already. We, we shouldn't even talk about this today, Linda. If Ed, they acted in 2018 announcement we made, we would have been today talking about a new facility. Describe this visitation room area to us, because you mentioned that staff are affected by this closure as well. Uh, uh, who works there? What part of the uh, facility is it? It's a piece that's been kind of added to the facility there, uh, what I'm hearing is there's number one, the staff officer involved on this visitation because they have been in of course, but there's other staff that work in that part of the facility, understand some people that would be involved with finance and things like that. So it's not just people that are coming in periodically for a visit. We've had people that's been working in this area day in and day out and prolonged period. So that's concerning and it's discovered in this part of the building. Uh, I don't know what's going on. In other words, you've heard about the infestation of rodents. We're hearing about uh, all host of issues. Uh, yes, we've had some productive talks to some of our data focus on maintenance, but maintenance only goes so far when you have a infrastructure infrastructure that should be basically condemned. Like nobody else would be expected to live in this anywhere else in Newfoundland Labrador. Uh, but here we have where human beings are expected to go to work through every day and people that are incarcerated sometimes with significant mental health issues, this is where they're incarcerated for for a long period of time. And it's like once they go beyond those walls, the staff and the inmates are forgotten about by everybody. I can tell you we're not forgetting about them and something has to be done uh, by this current administration to deal with what's happening in that facility. What are they finding in the walls there? I'm hearing it's very distressing. I have heard, and I don't have this substantiated, so what I have heard, there's not only rodents, but uh, birds, for example, uh, dead uh, being put to the walls. 
uh, described to me about a bag falls, and I don't know how accurate that is, so I caution in, in that, but I'm hearing like dead birds actually being pulled at the walls and bags and brought out of there. So uh, God knows what's in this facility. It, and I keep saying, like, I am extremely distressed, and I can't imagine what the staff are going through there. Enough is enough. So that's NAIT President Jerry Earle earlier today about the situation at HMP. And uh, we heard from Cindy Murphy yesterday with the John Howard Society. And she said the distressing part of all of this, uh, when we hear more and more of these stories about the conditions in that facility, is that even if government were to announce tomorrow that construction is starting, that facility is still four or five years out. And uh, these are uh, a workplace issue as far as it, um, uh, Jerry Earl and Nape goes. Uh, it's also a human, human uh, rights, rights issue um, because um, people deserve to live in better conditions than that. Despite what some people may believe and that would be crime, you know, crime. People are not the action, bad actions or the bad decisions that they've made. They do deserve the basics no matter who you are. And I guess uh, part of the difficulty when you're uh, in government and trying to make a decision on where money goes is that there are so many um, needs that come to you, not the least of which are, you know, hospitals and healthcare facilities and uh, schools and the like. How so do you know? Where do you place mm-hmm. that? But I know that we've been talking about a replacement for HMP for, a long time. for decades. I know that myself because it was one of the first stories I worked on when I started in this business. Uh, so that was when they were talking about a um, an HMP for Harbor Grace, believe it or not. Uh, and they were talking about Bell Island and they were talking about Bishop's Falls and the list goes on and on and on. So here we are and no movement whatsoever. So uh, very interesting indeed. If anyone has any thoughts on that, they're welcome to give us a call. Well, the rising cost of living is uh, something that is on all of our minds and it's keeping us up late at night, many of us. We get calls from people in the newsroom all the time about it. Um, uh, We'll have a chat with uh, Ken McDonald, who voted against his government and in favor of a conservative motion to repeal the um, carbon tax. Uh, And we'll hear what he has to say uh, coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCN. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we're back. Well, the head of the International Monetary Fund says the global economy has shown remarkable resilience, but still bears deep scars from the pandemic, the war in Ukraine and rising interest rates. Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva says global economic growth is likely to remain well below the 3.8% average of the past two decades. Data also shows that the world has lost $3.7 trillion in economic output since 2020. The IMF released its official growth forecasts on Tuesday. Well, a little closer to home, Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne says the country's top five grocery chains have agreed to take concrete action to stabilize food prices. He says shoppers will soon start to see discounts, price freezes, and price-matching campaigns. Champagne says these measures will create a more competitive marketplace, which will bring benefits to Canadians. 
Canadians. And as you know, the federal government met recently with the um, operators and owners of the largest grocery chains in Canada to see what can be done about rising grocery food prices. It is alarming, to say the least. I know every time I go into the grocery store and look around is, wait a minute... I always have that sticker shock look. You know, I know the prices, I'm picking them up, but then it just hits me when the total comes and I'm just like looking at her, you know, or whoever serving me and I'm like, are you sure? And now I'm like looking at as, you know, you can see the computer screen as it goes in and, you know, yeah, a lot of people are are feeling it and they're changing the way they eat because of it, which can lead to poor health outcomes. This is, has huge ramifications. Absolutely. I know people who have cut back significantly on their meat and are feeling it because you need protein. Uh, you know, if you don't get protein mm-hmm. from meat, you need to get protein from other sources. Yeah. Um, so it's affecting them. And uh, it is really quite shocking, not the least of which is how many people have had to stop buying fruits for instance oh yeah and there are ways around it i mean i've heard interviews before too you know you you stock up on the frozen versions you shop what's in season there are other ways to get protein we're all aware of what we can do um but now we're just looking toward government for solutions and some of the things that i've heard today was the price matching could Mm -hmm. be a possibility and discounts on certain foods it will be interesting to know i'd like to get into the meat and the potatoes of that so to speak so to speak so to speak well i mean uh, this is one of the uh items that have been discussed at length and that is uh carbon taxes and the Mm -hmm. uh, resulting impact on um Uh, the cost of living and that sort of thing and uh, it came up in the House of Commons yesterday and uh, some people may be surprised, others not so much, uh, that Liberal MP Ken McDonald once again drawing attention in the House of Commons by voting against his caucus colleagues McDonald stood in support of the Conservative Party's motion to repeal all carbon taxes drawing sustained applause from the opposition. Well I caught up with Ken McDonald earlier today. Mr. McDonald, Avalon. So, as you just heard, that is Ken McDonald standing in favor of a motion brought forward by the Conservative government on repealing all carbon taxes. And uh, Ken McDonald joins me now. Hello, Ken. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good. So, what was behind your decision to stand uh, in support of this particular motion? Well, there were several things that kind of gave me the urge to to stand and vote the way I did. One was I did the same thing a few months back, and, you know, I wasn't going to flip-flop and just think that that was just a a show at the time instead of being serious about it. Uh, The other thing was... I wanted to support the people in my riding who are having a difficult time and trying to buy groceries, heat their homes, put gas in their vehicles. Everything you can mention is gone crazy price-wise. And also, I wanted to stand with Premier Puri in his argument to the federal government that this should be paused. And I think if you recall, when the four Atlantic premiers got together a while back, they all asked for the same thing, for this to be delayed. But the government said, no, we're not delaying it, we're bringing it in. 
and I, I wanted to make my point on it, and, and I will continue to do that each and every day. So what does this mean? I mean, among your caucus colleagues, I, I noted that, uh, you know, from the video from the House of Commons, Seamus O'Regan didn't look overly pleased about it. Uh, I mean, have you had conversations with your caucus colleagues about it? Yes, I advised uh, my Newfoundland caucus colleagues the day before how I, my intention of how I was going to vote. I advised the Atlantic caucus the morning of the vote when we had a caucus meeting Wednesday morning. I actually told everyone in the room how I was voting at, uh, on that particular motion right after question period on that day. So I didn't try and hide it. I didn't try and keep it to myself and just stand up when it come up and surprise everybody that a, a Liberal is supporting an opposition day motion. I did let people know I was doing it. I let the Whip's office know I was doing it. So there was no surprises. So you say you're standing in, um, I guess, solidarity with the provincial government and both uh, Premier Fury and Health Minister Tom Osborne in recent days have uh, spoken out once again about their opposition to having the uh, carbon tax implemented at this particular time when, as you indicated, uh, the cost of living has gone through the roof. Um, Have you been in conversation with the uh, provincial government on this? No, only conversations that I've had with the Premier. So what does this mean for Ken McDonald now? What are your uh, constituents saying, and, and what does this mean for your future in the, in the Liberal caucus? Well, I, I, so far it uh, tells me that I'm uh, still a Liberal, and I'll continue to be a Liberal until somebody tells me otherwise. But with regards to uh, how is this affecting my constituents, I just spoke to my office before I called you, and there's about 100 emails have come in in support from my constituents for what I did yesterday. So people uh, obviously um, support you in the in this uh, particular endeavor. Oh, definitely. Everyone, everyone you talk to, every event I go to, whether it's a volunteer fire department or uh, a, an event at one of the many legions I have in my riding. People are talking about the cost of living and the taxes that are driving up the cost of everything that we use. It's just getting unbearable, and people are getting to the point that they're getting angry. And we got to start to do something to ease that burden on people. Look, I, I believe in climate change, and I'm sure most people in Newfoundland and Labrador believe in climate change. But we have to figure out a way to fight climate change without putting the burden on the individual constituents that I represent. Do you have a sense that uh, your Liberal colleagues in Ottawa will relent in any way on this matter? Uh, Not right now, I don't. Not right now, I don't. Now, maybe that could change tomorrow or the next day. But right now, I understand that, you know, everything will stay as is. Ken McDonald, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Anytime, Linda. Thank you. So that's what Ken McDonald had to say about voting with the Conservative Party in the House of Commons. And he has, uh, I guess, gone against his own government in um, Ottawa uh, a couple of times now, um, but says that he supports Premier Fury and his call for a pause on um, implementing the carbon taxes, particularly at this time when the cost of everything is through the roof. Well... I don't know about you. Did you find September to be warmer than usual, Claudette? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have found that. I've noticed, and I think my, yeah, I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you before, but one of my family members mentioned, you know, with climate change, we're thinking that maybe the months to take off for holidays would probably be August and September, like moving that way, because it seems like the temperature seems to be a bit better. Yeah, well, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I mean, with the, the joke in Newfoundland was always, you know, like the summer's over once the regatta yeah, is finished, that's, right? Yeah, that's what I heard. So that's the first week in August. Mm-hmm. So after that, everything cools off. But that wasn't the case nope, this year. It we wasn't. went right up into, what, mid-September with very balmy t-shirt, you know, warm, open the windows at night type of weather. Yeah, and you know, it, it even wanted, I even wanted the ex- to extend the pedestrian mall because of it, you know, just to keep that summer vibe going. <laughs> Maybe it's the pedestrian mall that's causing everything to right? be so warm. Not Ever since they change. introduced that, we've had some fabulous <laughs> summers, haven't we? Exactly. Um, fabulous summers for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the rest of the planet has seen some really oppressively hot summers and dangerously hot summers. Well, after a record smashing hot summer earth's warming somehow got even worse in september according to this story by the associated press the european climate agency says temperatures last month set a new mark for how far above normal they hit the month's average temperature was 0.93 degrees celsius that's 1.7 degrees fahrenheit above its average from 1991 to 2020 that's the warmest margin above average for a month in 80 three years of records kept by the European Space Agency's Copernicus Climate Change Service. Copernicus officials say 2023 is now on track for the hottest year on record, about 1.4 degrees Celsius or 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than pre-industrial times. And while 1.4 degrees doesn't sound like a lot, we've seen that it is actually a lot. Yeah, it, it's huge. It doesn't like the, when, when you just say one, pe- people who are not in the know, they would say, oh, what's the difference? A degree. But it, it has huge consequences. I think we've all seen that by all of the weather related news stories over the past several months. Indeed. And while we might have found it uh, pleasant through uh, yeah. September month here in Newfoundland and Labrador, in other places, like I know, for instance, parts of Ontario, was still seeing temperatures in the 40 degree mark. They uh, People, it was even hot for them to stay out at a beach for instance i saw some of the videos on that through various news organizations yeah i was really surprised some people had the attitude though that they were just soaking it up and enjoying it every moment but like when you dig deep it's really not a good thing no and i know that uh, uh, i've uh, spent some time on the mainland when it's been up in those high 30s you know that uncomfortable higher than that uh, very highly uncomfortable and you drive around and you just notice there are no people on the go like everybody is indoors there's nobody you, you know yeah. you go around a new newfoundland neighborhood Everybody's there's always out. somebody out uh, either walking on the road or sitting on their deck or out on the lawn chair or playing in the driveway or cutting wood or something. You know, there's always somebody doing something. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I noticed it was like the crickets up in Toronto <laughs> the time I was up there when it was really quite hot. Everybody was indoors. Trying to stay cool with the air conditioning. Exactly, because mm-hmm. it was too uncomfortable to be outside just hanging out. So 
it's it's having an impact. It's scary. So we're, on the one hand, we're talking about carbon taxes and trying to find ways to reduce carbon emissions. And on the other hand, we're talking about global warming. So where is that balance? How do we figure that out? I guess that's the big question for governments right now. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day.